Welcome to this new Triple V podcast episode, covering the most recent town hall. And we're going to start the weekly meeting with an update of, first of all, the purpose of the fund, why we even chose to start a blockchain fund, and then how the VC side and how the blockchain fund are going to play alongside over the course of the next year. Okay, um, so one key lesson which you guys have already done right is to always be on time. That's really key. Even if it's a town hall, or one of our AMAs, it's super important to always be on time, um, especially if you're dealing with high caliber people like I do in my interviews for the different positions on the blockchain fund, being on time is super important. On all, all those meetings, I'm always at least five minutes early in any of the Google meeting links just for the sake of never even uh, having the remote chance of something not working on a technical level, maybe the connection being bad and me connecting two or three minutes later. And then you have someone with 30 years of experience waiting for me who only stare to pitch them. So you always want to make sure that you're on time. And the same with the uh, town hall meetings, which we have, I, I will continue to start sharp at 8 p.m. or whichever time we choose for, for each single event. And um, I would be appreciative if everyone could keep showing up on time, especially for the AMAs with our guests. It, it's always better uh, if you can give them a proper feeling for being valued and <clears throat> not being uh, late. So let's jump right into that uh, relationship of the blockchain fund, why we even decided to go with it, and what the entire purpose of the fund is going to be when we have the VC brand already in existence and already succeeding. And the main thing which everyone has to realize, and which is the main value proposition and the main USP for everyone I talk to, is that one thing which we have is, is incredibly unique and is something that no one else can copy. And even if someone tried to copy it, they will never ever get to the same quality of that trade. And relating to one of the posts I, I made recently, by design, no one would even choose to go that way because it's, it's the hard way. It's not the easy way, um, which is relying on the fees, for example. So what we have and what makes us so unique is very obviously the community. And if you look at other community VCs, they, they call themselves community VCs, but they don't really have the community. They have people who are there and participate in, in deals, but they are customers. And the VC, the community VC is selling them something. It's not something where everyone is on, on, on the same level and where the intentions of every single individual are clear and where the setup of the VC is designed in a way which leaves no room for any corruption or for any hidden agendas. And this is why the lack of fees is so important. 
the, the fact that we operate with 0% fees allows the team to be fully independent in all their decisions because no matter what they decide, they never make any money from that decision. Which means if you have an opportunity to sign for a deal, we can always pass on the deal because we know for sure that if we sign, for example, that $500,000 ticket and fill it together with the community, that's not going to make any difference for our cash flow. Whether we sign for $500,000, whether we sign for $50,000, or whether we pass on the deal, we make 0% revenue. Now, if you put yourself into the shoes of a, of a regular community VC, you have the scenario where they have between 10 and 30% fees, which means they make between $50,000 to $150,000 of arranging a deal, which also means they have a very high incentive to arrange any deal. Because they don't want to do the best deal, they, want, they just want to do a deal. And they might even want to do the deal which is the easiest to sell the community on. So even if they might have the right intentions, at least on a subconscious level, their decision-making is always going to be influenced by that fee. Otherwise, they would just get rid of it. Then they would be free in their decision-making. But obviously, they keep the fees because they want to make the money. Which then also leads to the next issue with the business model. Because now you're also always tempted to sign for the largest possible ticket and not for the ticket which is the most suitable for the community. And this is something where we again have a, a high awareness of the accountability and of the responsibility we have as a team. We know that it's very easy to get excited about something and it's also very tempting to just ape into something where you maybe like the founder a lot, maybe you like the vision of the project, and then you might fall into um, the fallacy of overextending yourself and investing too much. So we also have the freedom to balance. So we, have, we also have the freedom to, to balance limiting individual investors with their max allocation sizes. So we never, because we don't make any fee of, uh, you know, we don't make more money from a large ticket or we make less money from a, from a smaller ticket. We make no money at all from regardless of the ticket size, which means that we never get tempted to push individual members to put in more money than what's appropriate for them which means we always keep the minimum investment at $100. And you will see in other community VCs, the minimum investment sometimes is $500 and sometimes it can even be $1,000, which puts huge pressure on the individual investor because now let's say they like the deal, but they cannot invest something which is more conservative. They have to do a big ticket. And that's a very uncomfortable position to be in because now you like something, but now you get pressured to put in more money. And the reason why you get pressured to put in more money is obviously someone makes more money by you putting in um, more funds to close a larger ticket. So the entire intentions and the entire setup of those communities we see is so skewed that there's no real basis for honest and straightforward trust between the community and between the people in charge. 
which also leads to the next point, why the stigma of community VCs is so bad in the space. And I know I'm, I'm slightly deviating from um, you know, the point of the blockchain fund, but all that context is very important because that's part of the pitch which I make to um, those dear people from uh, JP Morgan and uh, other um, financial services companies. So the reason why the stigma of those community VCs is so bad is because the community or what I just referred to, the customers of those community VCs, they are aware that the quality of deals presented is very mixed because they know there's an incentive for the community VC to do as many deals as possible and to sign for the largest deals possible because that provides them with the biggest cash flow for their business, which also means they have very little incentive to provide you with all the information, meaning the good and the bad for those individual deals. They just provide you with some information and they are going to provide you with a research report. And you know that term has to be put in quotes because their intention is not to provide you with due diligence, which highlights also the potential red flags or the potential risks, but it's a sales document to sell you on investing into that deal. And you have to be very well aware of that. So now we have all those dynamics and now we have at least a subconscious awareness of the community and the customers that the deals presented are probably not all going to be top-notch deals, which also means if you invested into something and the TGE happens, meaning the IDO, for example, or ICO, if that event happens, you probably want to get out at least your initial investment as soon as possible because you might not have done your own due diligence and you have not been provided with all the information and you might have been pressured into investing more than you were comfortable with. So now you want to sell as soon as possible. And the problem with that is if the entire sentiment of the community is to sell at least a part of their investment as soon as the project goes onto the market, that means that you're hurting the entire project and you're hurting all the other investors, which is one of the big reasons why brands like Animoca and other big VCs, they don't like those community VCs being at the cap table because they know that most of them don't do it properly and sell their community on crappy deals every now and then to make more money and that they will not hold in diamond hand the token because they might not even realize what they have invested in and how big the upside could be in the long term. So that's, again, one of the bad reasons why the community VCs have a bad stigma and why it's not the most popular option if you want to build a strong VC brand. And one of the reasons why VSVVV managed to get into, into rounds where um, you know, sometimes the other VCs were not really fond of having community VCs is because we have a very different approach. And like I said earlier, we don't have any fees, so we don't have any incentives to sign for larger deals, to push anyone to invest more money than they, than they would be comfortable with. And we don't have to design our research reports like sales documents, because to us, it genuinely doesn't matter whether you invest or you don't invest. We just do the deal. 
if few people want to invest, we sign for a larger, uh, we, we sign for a smaller ticket. If more people want to invest, we sign for a larger ticket. And it's a very easy process. It's very straightforward. And when we talk to those projects, we tell them exactly what we do. And they know for sure that if someone now invests into their project, they know exactly what is going on and they know exactly what the risks are, what the upside is. And they also see the long-term potential. And what you will see from the other um, AMAs, which we have arranged that by listening in, you get a very good feeling for the competency of the team and for the scope of what the project is building. And I think the recent Obscura AMA is a perfect example of that where, you know, initially you don't know that much. Obviously you do, you know, you do some due diligence beforehand and uh, our team has vetted the project itself. But once you hear the team and once you hear their passion and once you hear how they can handle very difficult questions and how professionally they can answer them, that makes you very comfortable. And if you now do the investment, you are not pressured to get out as soon as possible once they have the TGE because now you know exactly what's going on and you're very confident, which also means the likelihood of you selling at TGE is probably very low because you believe in the project, you, you know what's possible. So you're, you're very likely to hold and wait for the value appreciation much rather than trying to get out as soon as possible to get some of your money back before the entire thing tanks and drops to zero. <clears throat> and now all of that, all of the context is part of my pitch um, to the future board members. And the reason why that context is very important is because the community and the dynamic of the community allows us to do something which no one else does. It's something, it's, a, it's an investment vehicle which is genuinely incorruptible because no matter what we do, we never ever make any money from any of the investments which you arrange. And you will see that after the, um, after the town hall today, maybe two, two hours later, I'm going to publish the light paper on which Andrea and Chen have now worked for weeks and have dealt <laughs> with all the change requests and input and I mean, it's, it's, it really has become a masterpiece, but it was a super painful process to, um, to, to finalize that, that um, document. But you will see that we have a, a couple of different mechanisms um, which more or less work as marketing levers. And we're going to open up the investments to a certain degree to non-holders as well, just for the sake of getting more popular and getting more exposure. And that's, that's the only point at any of our investments where we, lay, where we make a little bit of money. But that's, a, you know, very, in a very isolated and carefully picked area where we know for sure that it's not going to influence our decision-making whatsoever. And <clears throat> what's so important for the entire dynamic for, and for, for the potential which we have for the blockchain fund is that every, everyone I talk to and to everyone I explain those dynamics, they are fully aware that there is no other VR who lets anyone else participate who doesn't charge at least 10% fee or you know, an initially lower fee and then fees on the returns. It's very rare 
um, it's it's pretty much pretty much non-existent that someone operates a VC brand which has a lot of members, hundreds of members, who doesn't make money from operating it, and that strength of being incorruptible and being one hundred percent honest with the community, and now also having that proactive incentive of encouraging the community to do their own due diligence and to help us actively to uncover the red flags. That's super powering or supercharging our entire research workflow because we do have the research team and the research institute, which is doing the two-peer uh, academical research process, which is, which is very sophisticated. But it's very different if you have a team of 10 people looking through something or if you have another hundred people going through every single detail and trying to poke holes into the entire research process and into all of the information that you have curated with your dedicated team. So once the experts have vetted something and then the community came in and hundreds of people have done the vetting process themselves and have been actively um, incentivized to do that, then if everyone unanimously agrees on something being a sound investment and having exponential upside, you can be pretty confident that that's probably not going to be a bad investment. And there's a very high likelihood that after everyone has vetted something and have co has come to the conclusion that it's a, going to be a, a good investment, that the upside is probably not going to be a 5x or 10x, but it has some, it, 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 it has to have a scope to it which goes way beyond that, where we then see the 100x or 1,000x returns, which you spoke about so many times. So now what, we, what, what do we really have? What's the result of those dynamics and why is it so powerful? So we have a community which has a lot of trust in us and not just trust in us because you know, we, we talk a lot, a lot or have a good sales pitch, but trust in us because the setup of what we have is deliberately designed to not allow us to let money influence our decision-making or let money influence the relationship with the community. And that's the most important aspect. Now, in addition to that, you have the dynamic where the team does the research, but then the community more or less puts the research of the team to the test and is the last instance of approval before we go forward and consider an investment. Then you have, in addition to that, the live events where everyone can listen in and put the team of the project on the hot seat as well. And what it provides us with is leverage on a couple of different fronts. One is the internal leverage, which we have, because we have a very unique research process, which no one else can copy. We have a team of experts who's doing the research process, but we have hundreds of members who are also experts and who have a passion for the space and know things in certain areas which, you, which we don't know, and they put everything to the test as well. So now we have a research process which no one else can copy because no one has the dedicated community and no one has a community which they actively incentivize. It's rather the opposite. In all other VCs, you will see um, people getting silenced as soon as they raise critique or founders getting angry when someone discovers a red flag because they already signed the deal or maybe they even already spent the money from the fees. And the entire dynamic is, is just, in my opinion, bordering on, on being criminal because it's just 
more or less a sales pitch to sell the Comitino on anything. And that's, that's not going to be playing out well in the long term. So now to recap, we have the, the research process, which is very unique and very powerful. But we also, through the trust and through those dynamics, we have an, a community which is incredibly engaged and they are engaged through a selfish motivational driver where they have their own interest to discover the next big deal and invest in it as an uh, individual investor. But they also have their own passion for the space as a whole. And they also um, believe into the, uh, believe the grand vision of BBV becoming the preeminent VC brand in the space. So now you have three different angles where an individual member is going to be motivated. And they also know that they can be motivated because we will never put any high barriers in their way where they cannot invest because the minimum size is $1,000, for example. With the, once you see the light paper released, you will see that we have even lowered the barrier and now people can invest as little as $10. And it's you know if you hold one if you hold one dolphin you have a range of ten dollars or a hundred dollars and you can invest up to one thousand dollars so even just one NFT is going to give you a whole range of options and now with the referral system you will also have the option if you're a U.S. citizen that if you cannot KYC you can at least participate in the raffles and depending on how many NFTs you hold or stake you're going to have uh, a big upside as well, and you can participate with quite some um, sizable investment outcomes. But before I deviate and, and dive into some of the light paper content, um, again, we have the research process, which is very unique, and we have the engagement of the community, which is not just the regular uh, conversations you see in other Discord servers, which are just GIFs or you know some, some nonsense conversations, but it's actually all conversations of substance because everyone is driven by their passion, by wanting to discover the next big project. But they also know that if they discover the next big project, they for sure will become a stakeholder in the project because they can rely on us to do the due diligence and to also work our um, yeah, I'm almost going to say the one word here, but to work very hard of securing that, that investment for the community. And this is one of the key drivers which makes us uh, a very unique VC brand where we have one big, one big USP which really is the community, which is influencing everything else. And without the community, there's no VC brand. And without the community, there's no success for VV. So we are very well aware of that. And that's why we are so sensible and careful with what we present the community with and how we adjust things and how we structure the future of VV. And you will see in the light paper that everything has been structured and phrased in a super, super careful way and that the entire ecosystem of VVV is 100% designed to the benefit of the community. And when I talk to someone, they hear my words, they, you know, they can see that 
logically everything I, I, I tell them makes sense. But I can also tell from the way I speak that it's actually super important to me and that I'm not just bullshitting them or making up things or telling them what they want to hear. But, you know, it, it's genuinely necessary to set up VVV in this way because as soon as we deviate from the model of not having fees, you're going to get tempted to do the wrong thing at you know sooner or later even if you have the 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 highest integrity at some point you know you see an investment and um you know you might want to believe that it's going to be the next big thing because you see a big ticket you see people excited and then you know you see the money which you could make from the fees and you're probably less likely to to say no if you feel like something is off of the project or you might not look at as, as deeply enough into it or um you know you might want to silence concerns of someone else and you know the entire dynamic is not going to uh, to be very healthy in the long run so now how would the vc brand then benefit from the blockchain fund if the vc brand is where the value is currently um where most of the value currently lies this comes back to uh, some of the questions which i have received earlier as well where what happens if the community grows? And um, you really have to be aware that for all the investments which we have signed till date, we could always have signed for much larger tickets. Which means for Snickerdoodle, for example, in total, we invested now, I believe, over $500,000. But if you had made the decision for a large ticket early enough, we could probably have signed for a million dollars or even more. And the same with Orki, uh, the same with Peak. In all of those instances, we could have signed for much larger tickets. Being able to deploy more capital comes with a lot of benefits. And currently, we are in a position where there's no point you know, in pushing the community and, and filling a large ticket. That's, it's nonsensical for the individual members. And i much rather have our funds being distributed amongst high potential projects and not all of the funds being put into one uh, high risk play. That, that makes no sense. It, it's much more sensible to have the funds distributed over five or 10 high conviction plays and put everything into just for the sake of, you know, having a, a bigger seat at the cap table. So what the blockchain fund is going to allow us to do is to not just sign for the ticket sites, which is, appropriate for the community but it's going to allow us to sign for whichever ticket size we deem the suitable uh, the suitable ticket size for the blockchain fund and for the fund you have to keep in mind that it's probably to be somewhere around 100 million dollars so there's going to be a lot of capital which needs to be deployed which means we are probably when we find those high conviction projects by default going to sign for now, you know, in, in contrast to what we do as the VC brand, we're probably going to sign for a very large ticket, meaning a couple million dollars, which then also means that we have much more say in what actually happens to that project. And we have a much more serious role as an advisor and as an investor, which means we can be much more active in contributing to the project. We can play a bigger role in ensuring their success and we can play a bigger role in increasing their scope of success. So now VVV is not just a small community VC, which is 
investing in the shade of all the other big investors, but we're actually having a big seat at the cap table and we can see eye to eye with the big brands like Animoca, FTX and Alameda Research, for example. So simply, and there's, there's a lot more benefits which I'm going to get into, but simply having more capital is going to make us a much more powerful investor where now the other brands are also going to take us much more seriously because now we're not just that community VC brand, but we have an actual fund behind us, which is going to allow us to have more leverage. And the blockchain fund is not just going to be a bag of money without any sort of utility, but the blockchain fund is going to have a board of directors leading and advising the entire fund. And that board of directors is going to be made up of individuals who individually have at least 20 to 30 years experience in financial services, fund management, investment management, wealth management, dealing with um, ultra, ultra high net worth individuals, in being uh, very knowledgeable in uh, investor relations and marketing of the fund itself. And currently, anyone I talk to says, says yes to what we do and what we want to do. And the reason why they say yes is because, for one, I know what I have to say, but I don't say, you know, it's not in a disingenuous way, but I know what I can expect from them. And I also know exactly what they expect from me. And the way I pitch it is extremely thoughtful and very professional. And that's the reason why they all say yes. And once you will see, once we release the first names of those people, you will wonder how on earth did he manage to recruit those people? Because they, they are really top-notch. These are um, managing directors, partners. And I even spoke to the CEO, or former CEO of JP Morgan. So these are really the best of the best. And I talk to them, I, I do Google Meets with them with a video, and I get a very good feeling for their personality and whether or not they are a good fit for what we do. And not a single person does not see the value which we provide and the value which the VC brand has and the value that VC brand is going to lend to the blockchain fund. And then once those two entities exist alongside each other, you will have an incredible synergistic effect where you have the community, which is now going to benefit from that big seat at the cap table. But then you also have the VC brand, excuse me, then you also have the blockchain fund, which is directly benefiting from the research institute and from the community. From, you know, and the reason why the community is so important is not just the, the research process, but also the engagement and the exposure which becomes very obvious if you look at the recent uh, AMAs with Obscuro and with NFTFI, <clears throat> both of them had over 1,500 listeners in total each. And that's way beyond the numbers they usually get in their own AMAs. So whenever we find those projects early, one of the big things they are lacking is having a community themselves and having any sort of engagement on any of their social channels. So the, the upside again, comes from having the community. And now what we have is we have the deal flow from the VC brand. We have the community to support 
the brand as a whole and to support our partners. And now we have way more capital than we usually have to secure a big seat at those different cap tables. And, you know, we had opportunities where not having that budget has been a detriment. And uh, the, the best example is SUI, where we had an opportunity, but the minimum ticket size was $1 million. So um, at that time, the, the, the research team had a different constellation. And at that time, the research team decided to pass based on the valuation of SUI and based on the large ticket size. But in hindsight, it was a bad decision. We, we should have you know, taken up the conversation. And I'm sure that if I would have spoken to them, we could easily have, have um, you know, secured a smaller ticket. And um, the, the valuation itself is also not always the main thing which you have to consider. There's a, regarding the tokenomics, there's so many more variables to the success of an individual token and the, you know, a success in terms of ROI that just basing uh, on a decision on the FTV is nonsensical. But it is what it is. We passed, unfortunately, at the wrong time. Um, I, we have tried to catch up with them and to um, get into conversations with them. But the, the noise around those projects, once they take off, is just too much. And um, we're still working on it. We will see what we can arrange. But, uh, you know, this is one of the mistakes which we have made in the past. And one of the mistakes which would, we would, which we would have never made if we already had the blockchain fund in, in place because then a $1 million ticket doesn't mean anything because you have at least a hundred million to deploy. So, you know, 1 million is nothing in comparison to that. So you have much more leeway in terms of those minimum investment sizes, minimum uh, ticket sizes for individual projects. And having the VC brand, having the blockchain fund, that's really going to allow us to position VVV as a whole as the preeminent force in the investment space and in the VC space. And you now don't just have the expertise of the research team and the community, but you also have over a century of experience on the board of directors. And all those individuals have an incredible Rolodex of networks which really are going to blow your mind. And they can put you in touch with the institution investors, with those family offices, high net worth individuals. This is really going to change the entire scope of what we do. Right now, you know, we have to be very realistic. We're still a nobody. And even if the VC brand grows, you know, if, even if the community becomes bigger, we're still going to be a nobody because in order to get taken seriously by someone like Animoca, you, you need to have a couple hundred million dollars to, to deploy. They are just not going to take anyone seriously who is, um, you know, doing maybe $10, $50 million in investments per year. That, that's not something which is going to really make a difference in the space. But with the power of the blockchain fund, we are going to have much more fuel to do what we do best, which is establishing strong relationships with the best projects out there and to provide them with a variety of different value propositions. And now to those value propositions, we don't just have the exposure to our community and you know, the platform of our Twitter spaces, but we also have the network of the board of directors and we can dive into their contacts in financial services, fund management, legal, tax advice. We now have a variety of different areas where we can provide expertise 
and especially experience where before we didn't have that. So now the entire value proposition of having VVV as a whole, as a partner is going to be very, very different. And we're going to have a much more healthy and balanced future ahead of us where we can sign for pretty much any deal size. And we can even go in and if we find something which is super promising and as a top team and maybe not yet the big names as backers, we can even go in and start to lead rounds and we can really start making a name for ourselves as not just the preeminent force, but as also as the pioneers of finding the best projects at the right point in time where we can come in and support them with a variety of different value propositions and the necessary capital for them to become successful. And you will find everything around the VC brand and the dynamic and the ecosystem. You're going to find that in the light paper, which we're going to release on Twitter um, probably in like two hours or so. And take your time and read through all uh, the details, especially the new raffle system, which we're going to roll out and going to make available um, to the stakers, the holders, and to a small degree also to non-holders. And I know there's always going to be concerns around including non-holders and you know how that's going to pan out for the stakers and, and for the holders. But rest assured, it is done in a way which is only benefiting the brand as a whole because it's going to allow us to get much more exposure than what we have now. And as you know, we have been working in uh, on the back end together with Dark Knight to really polish the ecosystem to the absolute best and to realize all the potential which we have and to really make the most, of our, most out of everything for the holders and for the stakers. That's really the primary goal. And everything which you see, which you might not like initially, please keep in mind that everything has been deliberately done in a way which is going to benefit you. Even if you don't see, um, you know, the, the, the thought behind it at first glance, you know, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask them in our server and, um, you know, to raise concerns in the server or to come to speak uh, in the next town hall meeting, for example. But you can rest assured that everything is done in a super healthy and balanced way. And those different nuances are going to provide VVV with a little bit of cash flow. It's not a substantial amount. It's just something to cover the cost of arranging those raffles to begin with. And it's going to allow us to have one big lever for marketing events, which we currently didn't have. And that's going to allow us to make VVV more popular and more popularity inevitably leads to more demand and more demand is going to lead to a higher floor price. And that's obviously going to benefit all our holders and all our stakers. And another aspect is the prestige, which we want to keep and retain for the community and for the brand as a whole. And you will see that um, the prestige is going to be very well protected once we start um, doing our partnerships with different communities. And you will, again, you, you know um, what happened with the purchase 
and we are not going to be as brutal as we were in phase one, but we are still going to keep an eye on the quality of members. And we also have the Shark Test 2.0 lined up, which I'm probably going to post early next week. And it's going to be slightly different from the first test. It's going to be... It's much. It's going to be much more controversial because it's it's um, it's really going to offend and trigger some people, even if it's just like genuine questions. It's it's regarding certain topics where people usually have very strong opinions and emotions about. But filtering out those people to become part of the sharks, it's going to really supercharge the critical conversations and discussions which we have in our server. And I think having a place which is not just focused on the crypto aspect, but it's really also focused on the economic and political environment in which we are in. And having discussions about delicate topics and having opposing views, but having those discussions in a civilized manner and having those strong opposing views formulated in a respectful manner where now everyone reading them, reading those discussions is going to open up their minds and is going to, to look at the world differently. That's going to become really powerful. And that critical thinking is going to be really one of the key aspects to even be able to conceive which projects have a chance in the future. If you look at one of the best examples, I think, is if you look at the Obscuro channel, in our server. And if you check out um, the summary, which was posted by uh, Masih, that's not something which you, find, which you will usually find in another server. And that, that reflective summary of the AMA and what, what Obscura is doing, that's super, super important. And if you scroll up, there has been you know, a very uh, lively and active discussion about what Obscura is doing and um, the privacy aspect on the blockchain. <clears throat> and if you're not aware of what's going on in the world regarding um, you know, politics and uh, B2B and the entire dyna dynamics of regulators and lawmakers around the blockchain and the need for privacy and the need for a certain type of privacy which allows it to be regulated and not be something um, on the level like Monero, for example, only if you're aware of all those nuances, you even have the, you know, the capability to judge if something is a sound investment. If you, if you cannot accept opposing views, then you will also inevitably make bad investment decisions because you might just by default bet on the wrong horse because you see an idea which might be suitable to your beliefs, but has no chance of succeeding in reality. So having that shock test and, you know, having it done in a, um, in a deliberately offending way to put off people who cannot handle the heat of those discussions, that's going to be a, a very important funnel to get the right members into the server. And, the shark test is going to be open to all of the members, which means everyone, including the phase one and the phase two mentors, they are going to have a chance 
to qualify for their shark wider spot. And the same goes for the phase three mint in general. Everyone, including phase one and phase two owners, will have a chance to qualify for one or potentially for multiple whitelist spots through a variety of different events which we have planned. So the entire thing is going to be made in a way which is going to be exciting for the community as a whole, but it's also going to create a certain degree of competition amongst not just our own community, but also the new people who come in. And I think that's going to be very healthy because if you look back, the thing which really made VVV special and which made the community so strong and so, you know, which made the individual members so close to each other is the, and again, we didn't do it 100% the right way, but we did it good enough where the impact was really noticeable and very positive for the project. And what I'm relating to, uh, what I'm referring to is the purchase. Only through the competition and through the heat of people being at risk of potentially losing their whitelist spots, only through that mechanisms, only through that mechanism where we, uh, in a spot where we could really forge a diamond of an initial core community, which had that strong crit and you know a strong point of view where they can take the heat, which means you can come into our server and you can pretty much say anything you want about any of the projects and no one is going to get offended. Everyone is going to take it into consideration and everyone is going to address it in a very logical and professional manner. And that's key because if you cannot speak about what's bad or if you cannot speak about what even the team might be doing wrong, then you're, you're starting to fail right away and you're going to stop growing and you're going to stop evolving into the best possible state of which you could get in. So we're going to go back to our roots to an extent. We're going to, to turn up the heat, so to speak. And I'm going to be very curious to see who of our members are going to be able to secure the, the shark role and who of the new members are going to be able to get to the top spots right away. So it's going to be exciting. And if you have been through the academy, you will see that answering those questions is probably going to be um, maybe not easier. Um, the, the test is not really difficult, but you will see that whenever you make a decision, it's probably going to be influenced by the learnings from the academy to, to a certain extent, or it's going to be influenced by some of the conversations which we had in our server. And, you know, it's one thing which I learned from Dan Pena that there's a couple of trick questions in there and he calls it the Dufus test, um, you know, where you deliberately put someone to the test to prove whether or not they are a Dufus or not. And, you know, you will have a fun time doing the test and there's a lot of learnings which you're going to draw from it. And I'm also very happy to go through the individual questions once we have completed the test and once we have closed it. And um, the test is going to be so delicate that the answers of individuals, individual members will not be made public. So everything which you reply will be 100% confidential. No one else, none of the team members are going to see the answers. 
the only one who's going to see it inevitably is me because you know the entire thing lands uh, on the back end on my computer but i'm not going to look through the individual answers the entire score is going to be calculated automatically and then we are probably going to um, grant the shark whitelist role to the top one percent or top five percent and everyone in the top 20 percent is probably going to get a dolphin something like that and I think that's going to, again, underline the culture which we have, and it's going to attract the right caliber of people to our project to keep having those very critical and colorful discussions without anyone getting their feelings hurt. And, you know, even if you go to one of our channels around health, you know, many times people, you know, show some vulnerability by, by being very open about how they feel or, you know, what they want to improve. And I very much appreciate that, that people feel comfortable, you know, when they do so, but I'm still going to be rather blunt in, in my replies. And that's deliberately done in that way. You know, I can be nice. I, I have no issues being nice, but in, in some aspects, you have to be blunt and frank in your replies to test that person as well, because, Many times you see people complaining about something, but they're not really serious. They're just looking for someone to, um, you know, to, to, to hear them and then, you know, to comfort them and they just keep going the exact same way as they did before. But if you're blunt to them and if, if you're frank and you, if you tell them, hey, you need to do this, otherwise it's not going to change. And if they can handle it, then there's a very high probability of them actually improving and changing their lives. And... I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very positively surprised that almost none of the times anyone opens up and, you know, I, I provide them with honest feedback. None of the times someone is offended. They, every time they handle it like super, super well. And I can tell just by the reply that something in their life has now changed for the better. And you will see the same trend when you look into our testimonials and some of the comments on our server that a lot of people have had very positive effects just by being around those I don't want to use the term alpha because I know that's going to, to already <laughs> trigger a couple of individuals but to be around a couple of those people with the shark mentality that's going to rub off after time and that's why some people cannot spend time in any other server and they only spend time into v in VVV because once you get used to that high quality uh, conversation it's very difficult to talk with anyone else about the meaningless stuff. And you will also see uh, we have to, uh, um, restructured the academy to a certain degree. All of the lessons are now private except lesson one. If you want to get access to lesson two, you have to complete lesson one. And there's going to be new material added to the academy very soon. And there will be big rewards for everyone who keeps up with the up-to-date lessons. Currently, we have eight. There will be lesson nine very soon. And there will be something big planned for all those people who make it to the end, so to speak. Obviously, the learning never stops, but everyone who makes it to the end by the start of the phase three mint, they're going to benefit greatly. And even if you do not go all the way through the academy, what you might find is that we do have the active student role in our server which will be granted to you after you complete a couple of lessons. 
And those lessons are super, super enjoyable. Yeah, the first one is a movie about Tiger Woods, and we're going to, to touch on that um, shortly with Christian. And it's a movie which is super enjoyable to watch, but if you watch it with the right context and with the right questions in mind, that's going to greatly affect your point of view on success in a very positive way. And once you get used to, to you know, to watching stuff like that and you, you really get the value out of it, then you pretty much do not want to watch any normal movie anymore because there's, there's very little value which you can actually extract for your own life from that. But studying those super successful people and studying the traits they have, that's going to have a real impact on your life. And it's even on a subconscious level going to allow you to adapt and mimic some of their traits and, and take those into your, um, you know, in your day job, in, into your entrepreneurial endeavors or into your investment thesis. Because we also study people like Warren Buffett and his mentality and a lot of the things which he says coincidentally align with the investment thesis of BBB. And in my opinion and from my experience, if you follow those super successful people, you have a much higher prob uh, probability of actually also becoming successful and not ending up leading an ordinary life or making the wrong investment decisions or even just betting on the wrong people. So the academy is, is going to continue to play a big part. In addition to that, we are also going to open up the VVV Research Institute very shortly, which is going to be led by Andy. And he is going to step-by-step step teach you how to do due diligence yourself. And he is going to allow you to discover red flags of, of projects very, very quickly. Anytime I have something where I ask the team questions about uh, you know, a certain opportunity, it only takes them like 15 minutes to tell me, okay, there's something obviously wrong or, okay, it's, it's at least okay enough to dig deeper and, and to take a closer look. But discovering the very obvious red flags, that's normally not going to take a lot of time. And they really do a tremendous job in filtering through those hundreds and hundreds of projects very quickly and very efficiently. And by going through the Research Institute, there's also going to be a very high likelihood of if you do it in a really good may uh, in a really good manner and if you become one of the more active students and high value providers you're probably going to end up with a job on the research team <clears throat> and you will also um i'm not sure if you have disclosed all the individual salaries recently but you will see they they are really well paid and for two reasons for one, I need to be able to hold them accountable, and it's only possible if you pay them properly. But the other uh, and bigger reason is they are providing extraordinary value to VVV and to the community. So you really have to respect the time and effort these guys put in. Um, you know, some of them are cutting back on their hours of their real life job, and they're really going out of their way to make as much time as possible for VVV and to slowly but surely dedicate their lives to what we do. And that has to be compensated, not just with paying respect, but also paying a, a decent salary and allowing them to, to really focus on what they do. 
And um, again, I also have to give a shout out uh, once more to Chen and to Andrea for working through the light paper and putting so many hours into the the phrasing, the the content, and the design. And also to Exec for working through the raffle ticket system in so much detail. The you know the market and the way in how different NFTs scale with each other. That's super, super complex. And he worked together with Dark Knight um, very, very actively and without me having to provide any input, um, which is super enjoyable to to experience. And they, they came up with the best possible solutions for the ecosystem and for the holders and for the members. So with all of that being said, Guys, if you have any questions, any feedback, please be sure to use the hashtag VVVFund when you comment on the Twitter Spaces event. I'm going to take a moment and read through everything that has been posted. And I'm going to address some of the questions you guys might have. And in the meantime, please, uh, it's always appreciated if you guys retweet the event, if you leave a like, and if you share some comments below the event, that's always helping the algorithm, the engagement. And obviously, it's going to be more appealing if someone considers listening to the report. Excuse me. If someone is listening, if someone is considering listening to the recording, if the engagement was high, they are more likely to listen in and to get the value out of those events. So let me read a couple of the comments. Ice Frost says, <clears throat> watched and completed lesson one about Tiger Woods yesterday. Phenomenal documentary. One of the most enjoyable movies I have seen so far. Thank you. Thank you. That's very much appreciated. And um, just, you know, for the logistics, you now um, submit your homework through the website. You will see the, the link uh, every time posted with the respective lesson. And then it's on the Academy Mentors to pretty much trade your work and to then either let you pass on to the next lesson or to potentially ask you to go back and to refine some of your thoughts. Uh, okay, so Will Power is asking, can a shark whitelist holder lose his whitelist if he doesn't pass this test perfectly? The answer is no. So the, the test is not going to have any negative impact on anything uh, in our server in any other regard. It's really just a, a test to provide you with additional upside. I'm not going to go through the test and going to pick the top, excuse me, to pick the bottom 10% and punish them or whatever. That, that's really not the intention. Everyone who is already in the community or everyone who has already earned their position or their role, they're going to keep them. You already have proven yourself uh, very valuable. Yeah, and, and like uh, CryptoPros pointed out, we also did the homework channel. We made the homework channel private because we know whenever new members come in and whenever there's um, the hype around getting whitelist spots, people are going to start copying the homework and it's better to not have it publicly available for anyone to copy. Now people really have to go ahead and go through the lessons genuinely and by themselves. Which is a good thing because you know it, the, 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 there's really no hidden agenda in the academy other than 
that I do not like to be surrounded by idiots. So I'm, you know, obviously incentivized to provide additional resources for people to educate themselves and to grow as individuals. But there's no other agenda behind the, the, the academy. There's really no, like, monetary reason why I would even, you know, have the academy. It's really just a value add for you guys, not something where we as a team or we as a brand are going to get exponential value out of it. It's really something which was made for you. So, um, you know, trying to trick, uh, which hasn't worked anyways, you know, trying to trick the, the mentors by submitting like homework, which you didn't do yourself, that, that's not going to, to work out. Um, so Ater is asking, could we get some details on what the final allocation sizes for the Snicker to the raffle are overall expected odds if possible? So since we limited who could sign up for the Snicker to the raffle, the odds are going to be one out of 10 and the minimum tickets which you have to purchase are 10 with $1 per ticket, which means you know, minimum investment is $10. And the chances of winning is one out of 10 and you can buy, I'm not mistaken, up to 48 tickets. So you theoretically can win up to 400 Eighty dollars worth of single doodle. Okay, hi Christian. Hello, how are you? Very well. And excuse me for holding up, holding you up so long. Uh, I didn't expect my introduction to to be that lengthy. But by coincidence, we we finalized the light paper just before the uh, weekly meeting today. And I, you know, I didn't, as always, I didn't anticipate Andrea being so damn fast and everything she does, but <laughs> she managed to get it done uh, even before the town hall. So uh, I just wanted to, to touch on it as well. And um, then we can get it published in about two hours. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think everyone is going to be very appreciative of the amount of the insane amount of work which has gone into it. But uh, with, that, with all that being said, um, what I would like to do is jump back into the Tiger Woods lesson into lesson one um, to give people who didn't do the homework yet like a, a brief idea of what the movie is about and why it is important and why it is important for you as an individual and um, for those who already went through some of the lessons um, to touch on the, the biggest learnings which they got out of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just want to say how excited I am to see the light paper I, um, I posted in the uh, under the this uh, spaces, how <laughs> how I didn't think I could become any more bullish. And then every time anything gets posted or said about the blockchain fund, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm even more excited. <laughs> so um, That's going to be super exciting, I think, for um, for the community and, and for those who are thinking about being part. So. Um, did you say, Sean, you want me to talk a little bit about what uh, the Tiger homework meant to me, or do you want me to ask questions, or how do you uh, want me yeah, to start? Yeah, maybe you can start with your own personal experience. Like, did you, so did you know about Tiger before you watched the movie? Did you see the movie before, or was it the first time you saw it? Yeah, so it was definitely the first time I'd seen it. Um, I knew about Tiger Woods on... I'm, I am around some folks on a daily basis that are 
are very into golf. Um, and so I knew of obviously Tiger Woods cause he really transcended golf or, or sport. Um, but I knew very little about his life story um, and kind of what had, what had formed him. I, I just knew that he was an exceptionally good golfer and, and you hear, you know, little background stories about, you know, you should see how much he, he practiced, I mean, you know, uh, in the wake of, um, you know, Kobe Bryant's uh, death, you heard about how dedicated he was and how he would out practice everybody. And so I'd heard a little bit about that, but um, the lesson was definitely the first time I had uh, heard much about him. And uh, the movie was incredibly uh, fascinating in, in going through what, what makes, um, what made him. And I I think um, this is something just in general that has been really edifying as part of the Academy um, is I, I think it's easy to see people who are particularly skilled or who have made some earth shattering impact and think, well, time, place, and, you know, a collusion of events, you know, the bell curve is such that somebody's going to end up on that other side and you don't really go necessarily go through the mental exercises going, no, no, but, but what brought them there? Um, and the, the Academy has really made real for me, this idea that th- these are not people that just life happened to and just made them into champions. They weren't, yes, Tiger was born with, you know, a particular focus and, and likely a particular talent, but it doesn't make people a champion. You know, you look at, at Warren Buffett, you look at some of the other folks, Steve Jobs, um, Walt Disney, all of them faced considerable personal uh, barriers and still made it through. And that, that is a testament to what they did to become a champion, what they did with the talent that they naturally held, and that it is not just something that is random or, or fate, that it, it really is something that you can work at and, and become great. No one gets successful by accident. And talent only gets you so far. At the end of the day, it's going to be the guy with the best work ethic, which is going to be the one who succeeds. And, you know, if you look at Michael Jordan, for example, he always was in each training session one or two hours before everyone else. So when they started training, he already had trained for one or two hours. So in, in all of those instances where you see some excelling, it looks like they are just super talented. They have put in exponential more time and effort than everyone else. And, one of my favorite scenes in the Tiger Woods movie, and this is really something, if you haven't watched the movie yet, this is one of the scenes where you really have to pay very close attention because there's so much meaning to it, where Tiger Woods is um, practicing, I believe, his putting skills, uh, putting skills. And his father is standing next to him, and he's he has keys and coins in his pocket and he's making a, a lot of noise to distract Tiger. And the guy who was filming the documentary was slightly, at first he was angered at, uh, at Tiger's father because he, he thought it was very impolite uh, of him making noise while Tiger had to focus. But the entire point was for Tiger to be trained under 
suboptimal conditions to perform at its best, which means if you're only training under ideal conditions to perform the best, then as soon as you're out in the real world where the conditions are never ideal, you will not perform at your best. But if you learn to perform at your best when the conditions are not ideal, then if the conditions in the real world are worse than they normally are under ideal conditions, but still better than when you trained under super bad conditions, then you're going to perform outperform everyone else because everyone else always trains under the best possible conditions. So that small scene says a lot about the mentality through which his father has trained him. And it also tells you a lot about how you should treat whatever you do, how you should treat your own performance. Should you only, you know, give you a very easy example, should you only go to the gym whenever you feel completely recovered and whenever we feel like super energized or should you just go to the gym regardless of your con you know of the external factors and regardless of the conditions around you and this really comes back down to discipline being so incredibly important and not being in a in a position where you let all those external factors influence you and tiger tiger woods has gone through a lot more hardship than you know just someone distracting him um, through, uh, you know, his training sessions, but he had serious injuries. And despite golf, maybe not looking like the most, um, you know, not like the, the most intense sport, which puts a lot of pressure on your body, you will see by watching it that, especially on your knees through the, the rotation, um, through the rotation when you, when you um, make those swings, that's going to put a lot of pressure on your knees and it's very easy to get hurt. And Tiger had some serious, serious injuries through which he had to work through. And he even completed tournaments while being injured and he still won against everyone else. And it comes back down to being able to train under those suboptimal conditions where even if you get injured, you can still outperform everyone else and you can still take the win home. And this really is something which, after watching that movie, I had a lot more respect for the sport as a whole and for Tiger Woods as an individual. And then, of course, you, you know, like, like Christian mentioned, you also have the other factors, you know, personal circumstances and there's, a, you know, the private life, which, uh, you know, some people might, might find maybe questionable or immoral. But you really have to keep in mind that all of those individuals, they all had very challenging private lives. So if you take Steve Jobs, for example, he, he, he didn't accept his daughter as his own daughter until he realized that she was intelligent, for example, and his relationship with his ex-wife was like really, really difficult. And the relationship with his daughter initially was super difficult. And obviously he was uh, uh, adopted himself. So he had a lot of weight to carry with, with him. And Tiger Woods had, you know, has led allegedly multiple different lives. And you really have to realize that with 
all the things which are going on in, in their private lives to still perform at that high, incredibly high level and to still outperform everyone else who might have an easier life and to might, who might be able to, you know, to, to excel under better conditions, to still be in the position to outperform everyone else and to still be the best and to still build the best business or to become the, the biggest sports icon in history, you really have to realize that whatever excuses you have with your private life and with your small issues and with your small problems by working on something of way larger scale and with, which, you know, needs way less energy and, and way less focus and, you know, which is not as competitive and not, not as hostile and you're not trying to become the world champion, you're not trying to build the, the, world's, the world's largest company. You really have no excuse to not do whatever the hell you want to do and not to do what you want to do in the best possible way. And all those insights, I think, are super valuable for your private lives because it's going to make you much more disciplined if you watch the movie under the right context and with the right questions in mind. So um, I had a question for for you, but also the community, um, if that's okay, to for those who've completed the homework. Um, but yours has a little extra on it. <laughs> so... Um, obviously, you know, we touched on this a little bit, like what qualities are best to take from Tiger. Um, and I wonder if you and those who've completed the homework can speak to that, but also from your standpoint, what, um, you would take from Earl as a mentor. Okay. So everyone who is listening and who completed lesson one, kindly leave a comment under this event with the hashtag at, excuse me, with the hashtag BBV fund and let us know what your main takeaway from the movie was. And it can be, you know, the, the, the trait which you find most valuable of Tiger Woods or maybe what you saw in his father or whatever you thought was the biggest takeaway take from you uh, for you personally. And um, regarding your question, Christian, um, regarding Earl as a mentor, I think that's strict and very driven father figure. This is something which everyone in their life should pursue and find. And if you cannot find it within your own father, then you have to go, go out of your way to find a mentor who can take the role for you and you know from my personal experience or my personal background I, I didn't have that father figure in my life so my the first 20 25 years of my life I was pretty much aimlessly wandering around and not really knowing what to do and where to go and what to expect from life or what to chase or what I wanted to achieve and uh, you know as you guys know it all started with reading the 10x rule by Grant Cardone, who more or less at least um, you know passively became my mentor. But I still went out of my way to to look for someone who puts that pressure on me and who has very high expectations of myself. And the person which I found, which suited my personality, and which which made me uncomfortable enough for him to really respect him was Dan Pena and 
if you watch some of the videos by Dan Pena and, and some of his speeches, and then you know you keep watching the the material in the academy, you will find that those father figures or those driving characters in people's lives, they share a lot of the same traits. So Earl, for example, isn't so different from Dan Pena, and Dan Pena isn't so different from Nick Bellotteri. And, you know, it's really, really interesting to see all those similar traits in those individual personalities. And I think, especially for a man, it's very, very important to have that very influential father figure. And there's a very, a very good quote, which I like, which I like a lot, which goes like this. I'm indebted to my father for living, but I'm indebted to my mentor for living well. Which means your father gave you life, but the man who taught you how to lead a good life, that was the guy who taught you. And this, you know, obviously I can relate to this because of personal circumstances, but I think very few people are lucky enough to have that strong father figure which acts like a superhero for them and they can truly look up to them and, and, you know, learn from them. So let's read a couple of the comments which we got. So C says, one of my biggest takeaways, you will benefit immensely in your endeavors if you find the right mentor. Daniela says, the main takeaway for me is that for being successful, one needs to focus on the final objective. One needs to put all the effort in pursuing the end goal without deviations and doing everything possible to reach the goal. Okay, one moment. So I have one more by Ice Frost. Isolating yourself from the environment, being cold-blooded, mentally tough, and self-disciplined were the main traits of Tiger Woods that led him to success. Father obviously carved the path, but he still had to go through with it. Yes, that's very true and very accurate. And you know, everyone knows the quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But very few people actually have the guts to isolate themselves from people who either do not add any value to their lives or do not positively influence you or not, do not positively encourage you to reach your goals and to reach your full potential. And I think everyone sooner or later has to, you know, even only, of course, if you're serious about, you know, going to the next level and becoming successful and making more of yourself. But I think everyone should ask the question to themselves about each single person they spend a lot of time with. What does that person really add to my life? You know, is someone just funny and, you know, maybe I, I, I knew them from school and now we knew each other for 10 years. But is, is that acquaintance like genuinely adding to your life or is it just something which is there and you know being taken for granted but not really benefiting you in any regard and a good test which I which I have from Dan Pena is you have to ask yourself do I want to be my kid to be like any of the friends I'm surrounded with and if the answer is no then you should very obviously get rid of those friends. Because if you do not want your own child to be like them, then why are you even surrounding yourself with them? And on the other hand, if you have someone, if you have a mentor you look up to, 
then the question is going to be very easily going to be answered with yes, because someone you, you look up to and someone whose traits you want to, so you want to instill those same traits and those same characteristics into your child. So to me, this is, I think, one of the best tests you can have where, you know, you really have to ask yourself, if I could pick any of my friends to forward all the traits they have into my child, like, would I want to do that? Or, you know, would I, wouldn't I want my friends anywhere close to my child? And then the question is, if that's a no, then why the hell do you have them around you? Okay, we have a lot more comments by the community. So from from uh, Flow Like, my takeaway from the movie is the need of a father figure. Honestly, I never thought so much about the missing father figure, but still unconsciously worked towards balancing that. After completed the lesson, it felt like the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I, I had a very good experience. Scotto says, main takeaway was the sometimes pain, excuse me, was that sometimes pain and suffering are a required ingredient to success. And that's very true. That's very true. Pain is what really improves the character of a man. If, if you haven't, if you have never gone through pain, then you're going to lack a lot of the very important traits to become a man of substance. Missy says, my main takeaway from Tiger Woods, relentless persistence and laser focus on one thing at a time is the path to exponential growth and build mental fortitude. And that's also very true. Big Dog says, my biggest takeaway from the Tiger Woods lesson was the undying persistence Tiger displayed to succeed. And again, I, I, I like one, one more scene which I like is where he is playing the tournament with his injured knee and you can, you can see in his face that it's, you know, he's not pretending he's like really in the worst possible pain and he's still powering through the entire tournament and still winning. Eliumos says, regardless of one's background, public opinions and social, socio-cultural expectations and strife for the chief, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> let me start again. Regardless of one's background, public opinions and socio-cultural expectations and strive for and achieve greatness through determination, tenacity, and hard work. But with these achievements, success and feats also comes a need for self-reflection and self-development. Also very true. Crypto Boom says, take away from Tiger movie. Tiger's dedication to his craft goals was inspiring. Regarding Earl, he identified potential in Tiger and managed to mold Tiger and prepare him to achieve his ambitions. And you really have to, to credit Earl for spotting that talent and for nurturing it in, in the manner in which he did it. I think, it, you know, just like Tiger Woods was one of a kind, I think the same holds true for Earl because it really took someone with... I mean, I, I have no idea how he, you know, how he came up with the right way to do it. But, you know, I don't think that any other person on the planet could have um, molded and nurtured Tiger in the way he did it. Yeah, and I actually had a, um, a question about uh, Earl for you once uh, we're done reading the uh, comments. Or if you want me to go ahead and move to the next question 
Um, we have a couple more to read out. <laughs> Give me one moment. Uh, okay. Can can come to the question. Uh, Nepkayo says, in order to achieve greatness like Tiger or any of the people these lessons have been about, you will need to make many sacrifices because it's not enough to be talented and nobody ever achieved greatness without paying their dues. Very true. Crypto process, I had a similar experience to you, Sean. My takeaway, go to a silent place and focus on the goal, find strength and do not give up, even if you're left alone. And, you know, that's a sad reality, really. And it's, you know, maybe subconsciously, that's one of the reasons why I uh, founded VBV as well. Because once you start, like, you know, really going into your you know, mind and, you know, really evaluating all the people you're surrounded with and, you know, who is, like, actually actively contributing to your growth and who is either indirectly or directly holding you back, either by their expectations or by how they see you, how they treat you, or by what they do and how they end your life, you know, you probably, unless you're lucky with the, the people you're being surrounded by, you're probably going to end up rather lonely. The, you know, how, how I personally found my mentors was online. So the, the next logical step is if you cannot find those high caliber uh, friends in the real world, then, you know, there might be a place online where you can attract the people who all work towards a similar goal or at least share similar traits to wanting to want more out of life. And, you know, more or less, you know, I, I didn't anticipate this in the beginning, but more or less by coincidence, VVV has become a place where a lot of us share similar values where we want more than what we have today. And I think the entire, you know, society tells us to be happy with where we are. And then you might have family members or friends who tell you, I, I like you just the way you are. And, you know, in my opinion, a good friend tells you, you can do better. You can achieve more. You can make more out of your life. You can make more out of yourself. That's what I would like to hear. I, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to tell me I, I'm, I'm, you know, you like me how I am. I mean, what the hell? I, I know I can be more than I am. So why are you complacent with the way I am? I, I think you should also want more for me. And if you're only surrounded by people who expect more from themselves and who expect more from you, then that's going to really propel you and allow you to do more. And it's going to make you comfortable by wanting more. And it's not going to put you into the scarcity mindset where taking risk is bad and wanting more is bad. And if you want too much, that's unhealthy. And, you know, all of that is new age garbage, in my opinion. One more by Masak, and then we can dive into the next question. Uh, Masak says, what I appreciated in Tiger's traits most are ability to quickly manage stress and recalibrate self-confidence in the super tense moments, then perfectionism, obsession with shortcomings, killer instinct. Yes, very good reply, Masak. Okay, Christian, I would say we go for uh, maybe five more minutes to, to avoid uh, the town hall getting too long. And then next week, we, we can catch up again, uh, Christian. We can make, make more time for the interview session and uh, you're going to have more time to talk uh, this week. I. Uh, uh, 
I spoke too much, but I think it was necessary in, in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, th I think everybody um, is very excited to hear all the updates of the blockchain fund. I'm just excited to offer a little value on the on the tail end. So um, we'll just ask one more question, and, and it may be one of those things to kind of get started on uh, for the next five minutes and then to kind of talk about more next week. Um, I did want to just give a, uh, a side plug because this question has to do with 10x um, by uh, Cardone. And if you look, it's not one of the lessons, but for those of you who haven't been in our academy before, um, under resources, there's another lesson on uh, the 10x rule. Um, and the question that I have is, um, Earl, obviously, I think one of the the biggest benefits he had to, to Tiger, like you said, is setting those expectations and holding him to those and, and being that mentor um, that set, uh, you know, 10x goals for his life. In fact, one of the, to me, the most impactful um, and, and somewhat a little bit shocking moments of the movie is early on, I think at, at the beginning when Earl is giving a, a speech and he talks about how tiger is going to be like gandhi like martin luther yeah. king like jesus um so those are some those are definitely some 10x goals um i i know that you have talked to me personally about the dividing line between romanticism and setting goals that you're chasing and and how you approach those goals in ways that are real but also have a dream which is you know far in the future can you talk to us a little bit about setting that type of goal and not, was this an example of romanticism? Is this an example of just setting really, really hard to achieve 10x goals? And, and how do you divide between things that are not achievable in a 10x goal because you want to be constantly building yourself to try to reach it and something that, that is kind of fairy talk, as, as you would say? Now, I like that you chose that example and that you remember that particular scene because at that point in time, saying that was outrageous. It was arrogant and it was, it was just, you know, almost nonsensical. But the way th things played out, he, he really became almost the next Gandhi because he had a huge influence, uh, a positive influence on eradicating racism from you know particular areas in the American society, so he really became a spokesperson for black people, and you know you, you have to realize that during that time, in most of those clubs, there was there has never been any black person walking on the grass. You know that that it really was a big deal that Tiger Woods was black at the time. And this really has changed the entire sport forever. It was a it was a sport which was dominated by white men, and Tiger Woods' tenacity and success was so impressive that no one saw race anymore. They just saw how excellent he was, and you know his father might have set an outrageous, unachievable goal. But he, you know, he pretty much achieved that goal, and this comes comes back to something um, Dan Pena says. 
And he says, you will never exceed your wildest expectations, which also means, and this is again, a, a, another um, lesson by him, you should set goals for yourself, which you cannot ex achieve in your lifetime. Because, you know, no matter what goals you set for yourself, there's a high likelihood of you falling short of that goal, or at least not exceeding that goal, which means if your goal is, I want to make a million dollars, you will unlikely make $10 million. You're probably going to make either a million, 1.2 million, 900,000. You're going to stay somewhere around that goal. But if you set the goal to 10 million to begin with, then you might end up with 5 million. You might end up with 6 million, but you are way past that $1 million goal. So having the 10X mentality and just from the get set bigger goals for yourself that's something which I, I believe is necessary. And I can give you a tangible example from the, the blockchain fund um, where I obviously have no experience running a, a fund, right? So I have no idea how big the fund should be and, you know, which positions to hire. And that obviously is where the board of directors comes into place where they have over 100 years of experience cumulatively so they can answer all those questions and guide me. And... I initially thought that the right size for the fund is probably going to be, um, you know, 10 to $50 million. But the input I got from the experienced people is that you have to have at least $100 million to be taken seriously. And many of the institutions are not going to invest into anything which is less than $100 million. It's, it's just too small for them. So now we are working with numbers from anywhere from 100, $100 million to $300 million which is way beyond the scope, which I initially anticipated, but obviously a lot more exciting and also much more impactful for, for what we want to do. So by setting, you know, so first of all, you, you always have limited information. You never have all information about everything. And you also have limited experience. You do not know everything about everything. So no matter what goals you set, with the information, with the experience you have, you're probably setting the wrong goal to begin with. And if you set the wrong goal to begin with, at least make it 10 times bigger so it might be more closer to the goal you should actually have. And combining that, I think the 10x mentality for the individual milestones which you want to achieve and combining that with the advice by Dan Pena of having overarching goals which go way beyond your time, uh, which, will, which go way beyond your lifetime I think that think that combination is going to be super driving for what you want to do. And of course you want to have those smaller wins. You want to have those milestones, which you maybe can achieve on a weekly basis, monthly basis. Um, you know, I personally set, set goals for each single day. Uh, I always know today I want to achieve this. I want to this finalize. And that's my goal for the day. And every single day there's, one little and sometimes bigger uh, bigger milestone which I achieve for VVV. So every single day we make we make progress for what we want to build. But there's different milestones along the way. There's milestones for the phase three men, for example. There's milestones for the blockchain fund, and there's overarching goals for the VVV Academy, which I eventually want to turn into real university. There's overarching goals for the VC side, for the blockchain fund, and for the brand as a whole. And all of those are goals which probably exceed my lifetime. 
and well, you know, there have to be at some point in time other people uh, taking on the baton, so to speak, and and carrying the the fire. Well, thank you very much for this time. Pick up next week. All right, thank you, Christian. And we have one last uh, comment by Carlos regarding the Tiger Woods movie. And he's saying, after watching the movie about Tiger, I have a lot of thoughts. But I also noticed that interfering with interpersonal relationships on an authoritarian level is very negative. As it was with his first girlfriend to whom he sent a farewell letter. Um, yeah, I think that's something which you can touch on uh, next week as well. Because, and this, you know, this slightly goes into the realms of how... Um, Nick Bellotary and the relationship with, uh, I believe, Andrew Agassi. And there's, you know, there's a lot to be learned from analyzing those special, super successful characters. The, the same for Steve Jobs, for example. They, you know, some of them have issues with social interactions to a certain degree. And, you know, sometimes in a bad way, sometimes, you know, in, in, a, in a not so bad way, but all of them have certain traits which lead them to making certain decisions uh, in, in a certain way and to act in a certain way and maybe to act sometimes without thinking. And I, I think this is underlined in the, uh, in I think, lesson two uh, in the movie Love Means Zero, where Nick says that he doesn't think he only acts, and we can double down on that in, in the next session. I think this is a, a good uh, topic to end on because it's very, very interesting. Those interpersonal relationships are something which can either enrich your life or they can make your life very miserable. So it's very you have to be very careful with whom you surround yourself with. And then also how you treat those relationships, how you set expectations, and then, you know, potentially even how you end some of those relationships for the greater good or, you know, for your own sanity. So thank you, Carlos. Uh, always appreciate your comments. And I want to thank everyone who has listened in. It's very much appreciated that you guys always are so patient with our sometimes lengthy uh, weekly meetings we're probably going to try to keep them uh, around 60 to 90 minutes I don't want to, them to, to go for too long um, but I think the context for the blockchain fund today was important uh, as well as for the light paper and again I'm going to post it in, in roughly two hours uh, I'm going to work on it um, and the Twitter announcement before I go to sleep and then you guys can take some time to read through it if you have any feedback or concerns, always feel free to drop it in the server. And again, thank you guys for listening in. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you tomorrow for our AMA with Cardinal. Uh, let me double check. Yeah, with Cardinal at uh, the same time as today, 8 p.m. CET, 2 p.m. EST. And then on Tuesday, we have an AMA with Subspace Network. And for October, we have many, many more great things lined up. You guys are really going to get blown away uh, by the caliber of guests which we have. And these are inevitably, sooner or later, going to lead to some of the next deals, some of the ne next investments which we're going to announce. We have two deals at the moment which we work on secretively and which take a whole lot of time and a whole lot of patience. 
but uh, I keep my fingers crossed day and night that these are going to work out sooner or later and that we hopefully can soon announce them. All right. Have a great day, guys. And thank you, Christian. Thank you for joining in. Thank, thank you for leading uh, the interviews as always. Thank you. Bye-bye. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.